and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, and almost never talked about. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the UK, and with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Raj Negam, consulting urologist at the Royal Surrey NHS Foundation Trust and the Focal Therapy Clinic. We're going to discuss how age plays a role in men's experience with prostate cancer treatment and explore how this is changing for better and for worse. Raj, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Claire. It's really nice to talk to you again, and um, this time about you know, one of the issues related to health inequalities that we've touched on before, and you know, very much launched by a lot of the patients that are approaching us. So I guess let's just dive right in. You know, we're finding more and more patients coming to us with a very common story. They're age 70 plus, uh, fit and well, um, living life to its fullest um, when they're diagnosed with prostate cancer. And they're disappointed in what they perceive as a dismissive, sometimes even defeatist approach in their care. Why do you think this is, Raj? Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think this is coming more to the fore as more and more men are living healthier lives uh, well into uh, their 70s and even beyond. It's probably deeply ingrained within uh, the medical culture in, in terms of our training that one of the first things we look at regarding any patient is their age, their chronological age. Uh, and it's only secondarily that we are taught to look at what their biological age actually is. So we always know exactly how old the patient is before we've even met them uh, and started talking to them. And that plays a subconscious role, I think, in the sort of conditions that we might be diagnosing in them or what we are thinking about they may have, and also the possible treatment options that may lead on from such a diagnosis. It sounds like there's essentially a disconnect between the quality of life of older men and the sort of institutionalized approaches to prostate cancer treatment. Yeah, I think that there probably is. So if we focus in you know, just on prostate cancer, uh, we know that uh, there are variations, firstly around the country, in terms of life expectancy. Therefore, there will be different age groups and different numbers in those age groups uh, in different parts of the country. And we know that uh, life expectancy has been improving up until uh, about 2010. And mm. thereafter, it has remained, uh, you know, fairly static. And that is also manifest in terms of prostate cancer, that we're seeing increasing incidence of men with prostate cancer. But actually, the number of deaths from prostate cancer has remained uh, relatively static. And therefore, the improvements that we have seen in the diagnosis and early management of prostate cancer are probably not being borne out in terms of uh, mortality uh, statistics. So we know uh, for a fact that uh, there is some ageism in, in healthcare. Uh, we know that this was actually made unlawful back in 2012, and therefore that we should be thinking more of men in terms of their uh, biological age uh, and their physical age as opposed to their chronological age. Can you explain more about it being made unlawful? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are a number of uh, discriminatory factors uh, that we all know of, but age was not always recognized as one. And uh, within the NHS, it was declared that ageism was uh, actually unlawful and that we could not deprive men and women from either access to diagnosis or access to management simply because of their chronological age. 
The complicating factor in prostate cancer is that there is a well-known adage that, oh, you're much more likely to live with prostate cancer mm. than die from it. Mm. And that is sort of carried forward in, in terms of a lot of men uh, and how they think as well. And I'll give you a case story which just came to my mind just now uh, mm. of a chap that I've looked after for a number of years. But essentially, this is borne out partly in the science in that a lot of elderly men who are diagnosed with prostate cancer do not necessarily die from it. But equally, there are a lot of men who are even denied the opportunity to know what type of cancer they have and are deprived from the lesser invasive treatments that we sort of parochially think that they should not have a radical treatment because of their age. Mm -hmm. So I'm reminded of, of this particular chap who I've looked after now for 18 years. He was 72 years old when I diagnosed him with a high grade, what we call Gleason 8 prostate cancer. He is now 90 years old. He came to me and he said to me, look, he was a very educated chap and so on. He said, look, Mr. Nigam, I've had my three score years and 10. I've had a good life uh, and I really don't want anything to impact upon that. Uh, this sort of what one might call defeatist attitude is seen in a lot of men who are scared of having aggressive treatments. Mm. Now, in those days, and I'm talking about 2002, we did not have the benefit of the minimally invasive treatments that we have now. Mm. Um, and so therefore, I sent him for uh, radical radiotherapy. And uh, his prostate cancer recurred. I treated him with a less invasive treatment, salvage high food treatment. And I treated him twice in that interim period. And eventually I, I had to treat him with another uh, operation, uh, which was minimally invasive. Mm -hmm. And even now, to this day, he is 90 years old and he drives himself to Portugal and back and is very fit and active. So I think it is ignoring that uh, biological age and convincing men that there are minimally invasive treatments around and that we can manage them uh, in this way and mm. that they do not need to hide away from these treatments. Mm. I, I want to pick up on um, a phrase you mentioned um, earlier in, in your comments, which was that you know, many men or more men die with prostate cancer than, than of it. Um, and, and that phrase, as you well know, has really come to the fore, even in the popular media, so to speak, during COVID, because we hear the same phrase around COVID, which has generated lots of, uh, I think, you know, variation in, in, in data and lots of debate about deaths. But be that as it may, you know, COVID has raised awareness around the world of, again, health inequalities and including age. And I'm wondering how you think this has affected men with prostate cancer. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, and many observers have noted that the various biases and um, issues that we have in medicine generally um, have been brought to the fore with COVID and how, uh, for example, the elderly people were managed and treated you know, with this uh, potential diagnosis, particularly in, in Western countries. And that was sanctioned at the highest level. People have now begun to think, well, hang on, do these sorts of uh, issues and criteria uh, for diagnosis and management apply in other conditions? And we've known for a while that in cancer management, uh, that age uh, and ageism uh, has played a role. You know, for example, in breast cancer management, there have been several studies which have shown that the outcomes of uh, more elderly uh, women uh, with breast cancer is worse uh, where ageist attitudes have been brought in. 
Mm. Um, so within prostate cancer, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. This uh, pervasive uh, notion that you're much more likely to live with it uh, than die from it uh, is one that is actually influenced uh, even in the earlier stages of, of diagnosis. So some men may well be denied uh, a simple blood test, a PSA test. They will mm. be denied further investigation to even diagnose what type of cancer they have because they say, look, even if you have it, oh, it, it won't affect you in your lifetime. And even when it is diagnosed, far more men are given this management term of what we call watchful waiting, which is an old term and is a little bit parochial and probably has a bit of unconscious bias, uh, you know, attached to it that, you know, not to worry, let's wait until it spreads mm. uh, before we do something. But we have to recognize that the mental effect on a lot of men who are diagnosed with this is quite great, you know, no mm. matter what their age. And we know, again, the outcomes are worse in men who are affected mentally uh, by the diagnosis than those that are not. So I think it's, it's something that we all have to uh, take a step back and take on board, that we really must not you know, have our subconscious uh, biases regarding age when we're either trying to diagnose or manage the condition. And, and men should have that right to demand it uh, you know, through primary care and beyond. So the thing that fascinates me is that more men are, are living longer, healthier lives. And, and again, back to my original question, so many of the men who come to us are super fit, cyclists, you know, marathon runners, you know, mountain climbers. And, and even if they're not into extreme sports, they're just very passionate about living their lives and they're very conscious of managing their health and, and their wellness. And, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, there's, there's a, a whole industry developing around that. And, and making men, if not their partners, more aware of, you know, longevity, I think is the word that people are using. So again, my question then is, how does the, the medical community adapt to their needs? And I think that um, uh, there are now new statistics that are produced, which look at not just purely life expectancy, but also healthy years of life expectancy. Mm -hmm. So I, how many years are you likely to remain healthy, not just how many years are you likely to live? And these statistics are now available. And we're seeing that those numbers are actually increasing. Um, so we know that the number of healthy years, uh, there are regional variations, of course, within the UK, uh, but the number of healthy years that uh, men and women live is, is getting bigger. So you're absolutely right. Men in their 70s and, and so on are much more active than they used to be. Uh, they're much more concerned about their health than they used to be. Uh, they're more conscious about their diets and, uh, and so on. And therefore, there's absolutely no reason why they should not be deprived correct and, and appropriate treatments for their newly diagnosed prostate cancer, which mm. in a younger man, uh, you, you would treat uh, you know, slightly differently. And as you um, said earlier, they, they actually have a right to that treatment. Absolutely. Uh, and I see this in, in my other subspecialty interest of andrology, that there are a lot of men who come to me in their 70s who have, like you say, are very fit and active, exercise regularly and have difficulties with their erectile function. Mm. Um, and um, for, for some reason, uh, they are told, oh, you, you've had your time. You, you don't need to worry about things like that um, and therefore are denied the referrals and, and the appropriate treatments for that particular condition. So. Raj, as we've talked about before, you're an incredibly strong advocate of, I guess, what we call a holistic approach in engaging with and, and treating your patients. 
And can you discuss how this plays out with, with older men? How do you approach them in a, in a holistic way that's going to help them live that quality of life that you refer to? Obviously, we all note the, the age of the individual. But then once you start talking to the individual, once you start uh, experiencing you know, exactly what, the, what their way of life is and what they're thinking and also what their comorbidities are and so on and realize that actually these chaps are pretty healthy, then the actual chronological age goes out of the window and you really have to start treating the man uh, as though he was in his 50s or in his 60s uh, and thinking, right, how far do we need to go with uh, the diagnostic algorithm that we have and, and therefore the management thereafter? And I often tell my patients, you're perfectly entitled to have the diagnosis. Once he and I have that diagnosis, then we can discuss exactly what is the most appropriate treatment for him. And mm -hmm. it may well be that the radical treatments will not be appropriate, but that does not mean that he should not be treated and given this watchful waiting tag, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and waiting for what? Waiting for it to metastasize, waiting for it to spread, waiting for him to develop severe symptoms from it. And that I think is unfair. Uh, you know, on that particular man. So within the context of prostate cancer, that is the way that I would manage the patient, that it would not be on the basis of chronological age, but what is the appropriate treatment for that individual. And I think I touched on my andrology field as well, that, uh, you know, I see a lot of more older men, shall we say, uh, yeah. you know, with erectile function. Uh, and similarly, they should not be denied treatments, you know, for that. Raj, thank you so much for your insights. This is extremely helpful and I'm not the first of um, conversations around this because I know it's something that's extremely important to our patients and to the wider public as well as, uh, you know, as we age as a society. So, so thank you so much for talking to me and I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation again soon. Not at all. Pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Raj's work and about the Focal Therapy Clinic, please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.